0: Raising the Bar podcast, brought to you by the Association of Gray's Inn Students.
1: Hello and welcome to the Raising the Bar podcast. I'm Eleanor Johnson and it's great to be back hosting this podcast about qualifying sessions. I find this particularly interesting because I had experience of doing them both pre and post-pandemic and before the changes came into place. And we're really lucky to be joined today by Joe Robinson, who's from the Council of the Inns of Court and who's also the former Director of Education at Lincoln's Inn. We're also joined by Julie Carruth from the BSB and Tony Charles, who's Director of Education at Gray's Inn. Thanks so much to all of you for joining. Tony, why do student members of the Inn undertake qualifying sessions alongside their studies?
0: It's a really good question, Eleanor, and one we get asked a lot. You know, I think people consider it maybe an extra hurdle or something that we're trying to achieve above and beyond the bar course, but it's absolutely complementary. I think it's really important students understand that and we try and stress it at our introductory events. So the bar course is valuable, that people will get the knowledge, the skills, the attributes, or many of them that that they'll need, but of course it isn't exhaustive and it can only deliver in accordance with its curriculum and assessments. So the Inns of Court complement that. We introduce our student members to a network of practitioners and we allow knowledge to develop through discussion, through debate, but we also really focus heavily on skills and the development of skills. And we think that, and we hope that, is really, really valuable to our our students. And of course, it is a safe environment to make mistakes and learn from them. I think most importantly, out of all of that, it, it is that opportunity to meet and learn from a community of practitioners, which is so valuable, and we hope will be so valuable throughout the career.
1: I can definitely agree from my experience that I met so many people who were incredibly supportive of students wanting to be barristers at the qualifying sessions. There's something isn't there called the professional statement for barristers. Julie, could you tell us a bit more about that? The professional statement for
2: barristers describes the knowledge, skills and attributes a barrister should have on day one of practice. So meeting the requirements of the professional statement is the end point of barrister training. It's mapped to the requirements of the BSB's core duties, which are the behaviours and expectations for all barristers. These can be found in the BSB handbook and the professional statement is comprised of distinct elements such as legal knowledge and skills, personal values and standards, and management of one's practice, I like the term that Tony used earlier, complementary between bar course and the inns, and if you like, the professional statement is also designed to have that cohesion between the different training interfaces.
1: So you said that it's complementary between the bar course and the inns. Tony, how is the professional statement used by the inn in the design of the programme overall?
0: It's used a lot, and, and, and I think as we're getting used to the professional statement, we're using it as a key document more and more. And I, I really urge anyone listening to this podcast to go onto the BSB website and just have a look at it because I'm always surprised that as it has got these core duties or competencies within it that so many people embark on the profession who are largely unfamiliar with it. So how do we use it? Every year we'll sit down with members of our education committee and key members. Of my department, and when we design the program we 've got two things in mind, and that is what areas should we be delivering qualifying sessions in um, and you know that's they're grouped thematically and we 'll get on to that I'm sure in a moment, but also to make sure that we 've got those links to the professional statement and it's a really good validation check for us that we're covering off the right elements and we're delivering a broad program uh, and by broad I mean that it's developing individuals across every facet of their future career. One of the things that I always mention to students is the importance of self-reflection and just looking critically at themselves and how they're developing in terms of their skills, knowledge and attributes. And it's nothing wrong with doing that and identifying areas for improvement in oneself. And I think that's really, really important when deciding your route through qualifying sessions. So I'm hoping that in the program that we design, we deliver that breadth, that if someone really feels, right, I need to work on submissions or I need to increase my knowledge in a particular area, we either offer that opportunity within the core program itself, or we certainly offer the opportunity to network and meet with barristers where you can talk about that and really develop yourself.
1: Jo, what do you think that qualifying sessions bring to student members of the inn? Well, one of the things that we talk about at the inn is the idea of qualifying sessions
3: being a bridge to practice or a bridge to pupillage. And I think this is essentially because they provide exposure to those people who are actually practicing, which brings it all to life and puts um, students' studies into context. I've always thought that qualifying sessions give a little bit of inspiration and a bit of aspiration as well, because you get to hear about the areas of law that you're not used to, that you don't know about, also some elements of practice um, which are new to you. And you get to talk about these things of people who are actually doing the job that you want to do. And you get an opportunity to um, find out what their tips are. I think it's probably also worth mentioning that these are people who genuinely want to share uh, their experiences with you because they remember what it was like when they were starting out.
1: We've heard about how the professional statement and the qualifying sessions really allow students to develop for their future career and provide the opportunity for self-reflection. And at some point they will be called to the bar. Joe, what do students need to achieve in order to be eligible for call?
3: Okay, well there have recently been some changes in this area so I'll try and pick those up as I go through. But you have to complete the bar course. Um, you also go through a process where the in decides that you are a fit and proper person to be called to the bar. You actually sign a declaration saying that there's nothing that will lead anyone to think that you're not a fit and proper person to be called to the bar. And in addition to that, there's a new requirement. You have to undertake a criminal record check. So that's a UK Disclosure and Barring Service DBS check, and also international checks for those countries where you've lived for 12 months or more in a period of five years prior to your application for call you have to complete qualifying sessions, which is basically what we're talking about today. And that's just changed. It used to be 12 that you had to complete and now it's 10. But I thought you might be interested to know that in the past, um, the number was much higher. And so some students had to do 24. And I think also prior to that, some students had to do 36. So 10 is quite a small number really. Whereas before you could pick any qualifying sessions that you wanted to do, you now have to complete at least one, in each of the themes set out by the Bar Standards Board. And those themes are ethics, standards and values, advocacy skills, legal knowledge, justice and the rule of law, equality, diversity and inclusion and preparation for pupillage, career development and well-being. And in addition to that, at least two of the qualifying sessions that you do need to be interactive. So this structural framework, as we call it, has been put in place to ensure that you get what you need so that your sessions help you gather what is set out in the professional statement that we've already been talking about. And also to ensure that the experience of each student is broadly similar in terms of general principles, although those experiences are potentially very different in terms of specific content.
1: We've had that the themes sort of ensure that students get what they need and ensure that their experience are broadly similar to each other. Julie, why do you think that the themes have been introduced?
2: The themes are designed to ensure that the qualifying sessions complement the rest of your training for the bar and foster a strong community of practice within the profession. Before being called to the bar, qualifying sessions as of just been speaking about must be completed. And whilst there have been gradual changes to the makeup of qualifying sessions over the years, the changes have been brought in to ensure that all students attend sessions which are relevant to the current issues facing the legal profession. Having a framework also ensures, as I think Joel mentioned earlier, a level of consistency across the inns, meaning that certain topics are mandatory. Of course, students can attend as many sessions as they like, and also if they they find the time to do so. Despite making some of these sessions mandatory, we have reduced the overall number that students do need to attend, and 10 does seem a huge reduction compared to what it used to be. We have also encouraged the inns to allow students to attend sessions delivered by another inn and to deliver a greater number of sessions outside of London when things open up, of course. The five themes, which cover all aspects of the skills and knowledge that students need to learn for part of the bar training, again, go towards this complementary aspect. I very much like the description that Jo gave of a bridge. They are designed to be that bridge into the profession and practice.
1: And Tony, how does the inn design its programme? and how are the qualifying sessions awarded?
0: It's something that uh, we take really seriously, and we, we get a lot of help from our, our barristers in, in doing this in the IN, and I'm sure, I'm sure it, it's broadly similar in the other inns in as well. And I, I mentioned earlier we sit down in the previous academic year, indeed we're going through this exercise now for the, for the following academic year, to develop the programme which is going to identify the schedule, i.e. what are we going to teach and, and when. Um, But but as I mentioned before, really importantly for us, identifies those resources that we need. Who are the trainers? What practice areas? How many judges? So we can start early with that process. Our program is is pretty varied. We'll have skill sessions, which are often under the uh, set, the theme that we call prep for practice, discursive sessions, moots. Um, And then we have Uh, a residential program where multiple qualifying sessions will be provided over over the course of a weekend and we also have our arbitration course as well so i'll sit down with my training and education manager she will be involved in very much designing the how we're going to deliver it and, and the methodologies that we're going to use but i also have a compliance and member services manager who will look at how many members we have where they're physically located And will decide um, or help us decide where the delivery is going to be Julie mentioned both in and out of London delivery and also the themes that they're going to be allocated and how many places we'll have on each session so each qualifying session is broadly an hour long for maybe a lecture maybe an hour and a quarter um, up to two and a half or three hours for maybe a, a, a detailed witness handling exercise of which the student member may be um, delivering a cross-examination or an examination in chief for a good 15 or 20 minutes of that, obviously observing their peers during the remainder. And that that will be the award of, of one QS. But I mentioned also the residential programs where we may go away to somewhere like Cumberland Lodge, where we will award up to five qualifying sessions across the course of a weekend or the education weekends that we offer both in and out of London then there are four qualifying sessions available for those. So following attendance and to make sure that all the mandatory requirements are, are met, once that happens, the student record is updated and the qualifying session awarded.
1: Joe, do you have anything to add
3: to that? Well, I think, um, as, as is obvious, um, the INs are made up of practitioners and those practitioners have a huge amount of knowledge and experience. They are people that have contacts as well. So What's great for the Inns is that they can be a bit agile in their programming. So I remember when I was working at Lincoln's Inn, we had someone that was working in sports law. And around the time of the Olympics, he spoke to people that he knew uh, in the anti-doping world. And we were able to run an evening which was looking at the law around anti-doping. So there is this ability to sort of draw on lots of different people to create some really, really interesting sessions.
1: We've heard that there are so many different types of QS to choose from. Students have such a, a range. What advice would you give to students, Joe, who are starting their bar course and just starting their QS with the inn? Yeah, I realise that the
3: bar course um, is intense. Um, in addition to all of the studies that come with it, you're probably trying to do many um, pupillages and marshalling and get lots of other sort of legal experience. But I would suggest that you try not to view attending qualifying sessions is something else to tick off a list. I would suggest that you have a really good look um, at the programme at Gray's Inn, and perhaps go to a few things that are not covering topics which you already have an interest in. I think as has already been said, you can do more than 10 if there are places available and there's such a lot to choose from that I would suggest you really take that opportunity. Tony, what advice
1: would you give to students who are starting?
0: I mentioned the term self-reflection earlier and I, I think that's really really important and to consider those areas where you you want to improve or you want to, to learn more. Really focus on, on those those skill and knowledge gaps and be proactive. Meet, meet people, uh, network, um, but also try and address those areas where perhaps you know you, you need to improve. I completely agree with what Joe said about just not ticking them off. That's a huge missed opportunity um, you, you'll be amazed how many times we hear oh you know i wasn't i wasn't very good at mooting so i avoided that and it just to me that seems slightly counterintuitive to what we're trying to achieve and of course if you do feel you need to improve in a skill area um, don't hide from it use the ins learn in a safe place and get that incredible feedback that you'll get from very very skilled practitioners who want to help you develop
1: we spoke earlier about how the themes help students to experience broadly similar QSs. How do the INS quality assure what they do,
3: Jo? I think it's fair to say that the INS are all about quality and they've always wanted to deliver the best possible learning opportunities for for their students and for new practitioners as well. They've always had mechanisms whereby qualifying sessions are reviewed, but this is now much more formal, which I think is a good thing. So we have internal observers um, going to qualifying sessions, and we've also recruited some external observers um, who are people that've got lots of quality assurance experience but have operated in a different field. So they're able to bring a really different perspective, which is really helpful for us for our ongoing improvement.
0: I think I'd also add that we you know we we, we are very proactive in inviting feedback um, uh, and whether that's through through questionnaires. Um, or through the Association of Grazing Students and the student uh, reps they're in. We, we we really invite and encourage that. And it won't surprise you aspiring barristers are never short of a viewpoint and that's brilliant. We have our observers as Joe mentioned and, and many of those are uh, on our committees and the the INS committees um are, are a real a real strength because there's there's so much skill and experience there and they have a vested interest in making sure that standards stay really high. they are always looking critically but also um, in a, in an encouraging way to make sure that our trainers are continually improving and providing the best for our students. I would also um just just add that that you know the the education department are there to also make sure there's real there's real rigor in in how we deliver this and and uh, you know I'm always working with my staff to make sure that that our processes are robust and that we are delivering a quality product for our students.
1: It's been a while since qualifying sessions have been in person for obvious reasons. Could you describe for listeners what QSs are like if those listeners haven't attended QSs physically at the Inn?
0: I think I will start but I, I'm going to very quickly defer to Joe because I feel a bit of a fraud here because I I joined Grey's Inn in April 2020 when we just gone into lockdown so a a lockdown grazing and QS program is actually all I've ever ever known so so I can tell you what I know and I'll I'll let Jo elaborate from her experience. Students if I take an evening qualifying session as an example students will arrive after classes they'll be suitably attired for the event which may be witness handling or perhaps mooting my team will handle the reception of the students, they'll scan you in, they'll allocate you to the rooms and then you'll start the training completely under the guidance of one of the INS trainers. My team are there to organise but, but not to, to deliver. And then after that, when it's concluded, once you've had all of the necessary feedback, there'll be an opportunity for students and trainers to come together for a more informal element, um, which could be a short reception, it could be a meal. But the idea is that the event is not only educational, but but also, you know, provides that that bridge that Joe mentioned through the ability to to network, meet and chat to practitioners. And weekend events in the inn or elsewhere are the same, but, but possibly, um, you know, a, a little bit more relaxed because they're they're in um, a slightly different format and location. And I think the, the thing that I'd, a final thing I'd like to mention is, is the passion of the trainers that, that do it. You know? And I think what the students would experience is working with trainers who are passionate about working with them and developing their skills.
3: Just to add to your experience, in the old rules that we used to have, um, qualifying sessions um, had to be educational and collegiate. Um, and I think that is still the case in the sense that there is there's, there's a formal education bit which might be a moot or a debate or a talk or um, or a, a skill session. but then there would normally be this collegiate session afterwards where you do get to talk to the barristers that you've been that you've been working with. The inns have fabulous buildings which um, um, if you've not seen um, uh, in real life, I'm hoping you've seen on websites, but they have a real sense of place uh, and occasion. And what you've got yourself inside, which I can accept can be daunting. They are, in fact, hugely welcoming places. And just give you a bit of an example of that, I remember being at a dinner once, which was following a lecture. And this is picking up Tony's point as well of the passion of the trainers. The students and the practitioners were mixed up um, over dinner. Um, and as I left the hall that evening, I remember seeing Robert Walker, Lord Walker, chatting with a group of students who were hanging on his every word. Um, And I did wonder, um, looking at that, in which other profession you might find an example of someone at the very, very top of the profession having um, a meal and chatting with those the most junior. I mean, it's a really, really precious thing.
1: I completely agree from my own experience, I think. Barristers and practitioners from all levels are so willing to talk to the students and are really eager to talk to the students. And you can tell that they're really keen to sort of pass on their experience and, and to help them. And QS's, in my experience, have been an excellent way for them to do that. Julie, what level of oversight does the BSB have over the INS qualifying session programmes?
2: Well, we have a, a memorandum of understanding with the INS and this sets out our respective roles and responsibilities. This is for the whole of the bar training, not just qualifying sessions. Within the qualifying sessions framework, there is a great degree of autonomy and flexibility for the INS. And we have every confidence that the framework will focus programming for the INS and provide beneficial outcomes for students. We exercise oversight by receiving information from the INS as to the programmes being offered, including um, the INS undertaking equality assessments. We have oversight by reviewing satisfaction surveys completed by students. We also review reports from internal and external observers. And we may also observe some qualifying sessions throughout each year. And on that topic, I'd just like to say from my own experience, I've been with the Bar angels Board for just over a year now, and um, like Tony, I've, I've never been to a qualifying session, um, a physical one. But I have been completely blown away by how all of the trainers bring real-life applied experience into these sessions, and the passion of them um, has not been lost in me either. I've worked across different sectors in my time, and I have to say that I'm finding this sector very unique in the way that the pupils and students are all nurtured to come into the profession, and that that passion is very obvious from those who are, as Joe mentioned, you know, at the top of their game, and and for me, as someone who is is very much an observer, that really is impressive. So um, that's some feedback from me in terms of what I've seen so far at qualifying sessions.
1: Joe, would you agree with what Julie said about the oversight that the BSP has? Absolutely.
3: And, and we worked very closely with the Bar Standards Board when all of this was being put together. And, and just to add on something to the end of it, Julie and I um, regularly get together to talk to each other. Um, so all of the dots are sort of joined up I think that liaison really helps and it's it's really good to hear that Julie's enjoying um, attending the qualifying sessions and uh, she's more than welcome to attend as many as she'd like to.
1: And obviously, as you've mentioned, the QSs for the past year or so have been online. What can next year's students expect, Tony, from the qualifying session programme?
0: Well, principally, we hope, back in the inn or, or predominantly back in, in, in the inn. I think most people, and, and particularly in the year of your bar course, Eleanor, where you, where you you experience them in the inn and then switch to to online, I, I I hope you would agree that that you know something was lost in that. Although standards have been very high in terms of on, online delivery and we've improved every time we've done it, but the all important collegiate element it is definitely lacking. Next year we will run a blended program. There's no doubt about it. There are. Elements that have worked really well online, and indeed have surprised us how well they've worked online. I don't think the skills training has worked quite as as well on online. Although there are discursive elements which which will continue to be delivered online. We're going to stream lectures. I think we're very we're very keen to do that and to engage um, our circuit students more through, through streaming. Um, and we're going to deliver. Residential sessions, both in the south and on on circuit, and I think the last thing I would just like to, to to mention about next year's program is really engaging you know our students in the in the design of that program and and Joe mentioned the agility in the program. We've had some great feedback from students that we've we incorporate as we go. I'd really encourage that um, and that's either through the association of Grazing students. Or by speaking to us, if there's a session we can run that, that meets the learning outcomes that we need it to, and we can uh, we can find the right theme and the right links to the professional statement, then we'll run it. And you know, I I want to have that agility in the program.
1: I completely agree with what you're saying about the difference between qualifying sessions in person and online. I think the qualifying sessions I attended online were great, and I was so impressed with how well they transitioned. I think especially it's easy to forget with how short notice there was. You know, One week we were in an in in-person QS, a couple of weeks later we were all on Zoom, and when we all uh, thought Zoom was a novelty. But yeah, as, as you said, it can be really, really helpful for circus students, especially to have the online QSs. Joe, what do you think about the continuation of online QSs after the pandemic?
3: Well, I think um, we've all uh, we've all agreed that Zoom is a fabulous tool. Um, and that, that's something which I'm sure we'll continue to use because as has already been mentioned, it does potentially make the qualifying sessions more accessible. But there is nothing quite like being in a room with people. The networking element of it, um, I think, works far better when you're in a room with someone. And as Tony said, the skills training definitely works better that way. But I think it's, it's just another um, tool that the INS can use to make sure that um, their qualifying sessions are as accessible as possible.
0: I think I'd add as well to, to that, you know, the, the, when you're on a Zoom call, the learning stops when the call ends. Um, of course, people go away and reflect, but, but it's, it's that other learning that happens. Uh, and I love Jo's example that she gave earlier about how at the end of a session, maybe over a um, over bite to eat or just a chance, chance chat in a queue for lunch, the learning carries on, and I think as an educator, that to me is the best thing about, about, about this, this job. That when you, when you create that spark of enthusiasm uh, with someone about, um, about a subject or about developing a skill, um, that, that, uh, that that carries over and that enthusiasm carries over out of the session. I think that is something that, of course, we, we've lost uh, by delivering online.
1: And you spoke earlier, Tony, about students providing feedback. Jo and Julie, how can they provide feedback and get involved in the programme?
3: Well, I think, as, as Tony said, there, there is feedback sought um, from students and we have um, feedback forms um, which are used after each qualifying session and that feedback is, is read um, and it is acted upon. Um, and there are student associations as well, of course. Um, and I think the programme is the student's programme. And while it's very important that we make sure that the professional statement is at the heart of it, we want it to be as useful and enjoyable as possible for the students. And so um, that feedback is really important. As I say, it it is listened to.
2: I can agree that very much those feedback forms are designed for that purpose. After all, there's no point in providing a learning experience if people aren't getting what they need and what they want from it. And so students are, are the, the best people to let you know about whether it, the, the job is done. I think also it gives them a sense of ownership and they're then able not only to learn something um, for an evening or an hour or a day or whatever, but the learning stays with them because it's something they've had a hand in. And so to give them that opportunity is tantamount. It, you know, it's very it's very important to be able to give them that ownership so that they can
1: continue to grow in the profession before we end is there anything that anyone would like to discuss about qualifying sessions
0: if i could just um add if i if i could to, to um the last question that joe and, and julie answered about about quality assurance i just want to give some examples of this year um because of, of dialogue with our students, we've looked at the times of day that sessions are delivered. Um, we've adjusted group sizes. Um, we've looked at other reasonable adjustments, adjustments all based on feedback on questionnaires. Um, and in terms of sessions, we've delivered additional sessions on opinion writing, pro bono working. Um, the equality, diversity and inclusion program has also been heavily shaped by the student voice. So. I think there's real evidence there that, that it is a reactive programme, it is the student's programme, as, as, as has been said. Um, and uh, although we, we deliver in accordance with quite a, a strict governance and management framework, it can at the, st- at the same time be very flexible and, and students can influence it um, considerably.
1: Joe, Julie and Tony, thank you so much for coming to talk to us today. I think this has been invaluable for anybody doing qualifying sessions and anybody who just wants to know more about them. I know from my experience of doing them, I got to meet so many people who were so passionate about helping all of us to advance our careers. So thank you for spending your time today to talk to us.
0: Thanks for listening to the Raising the Bar podcast. Please subscribe, rate and review. And for more information... Check us out on Twitter at AGI Students.